This is Point of View, a podcast exploring today's digital landscape through a critical lens. Each episode, Gil Rosen, our Chief Marketing Officer at Amdocs, will interview leading authors, entrepreneurs, and experts to help listeners view the online world from a different vantage point and demystify some of your most burning questions. We're discussing everything from fast fashion to the psychology of the internet, underscoring it all with a forward-thinking perspective. Are you ready for the future? Let's get digital. AI and machine learning technology are transforming the world as we know it. In this episode, Gil sits down with Tanmay Bakshi, a 17-year-old developer, AI and ML expert, author, TED keynote speaker, media personality, and tech influencer. And yes, I said 17, as in 1-7. Tanmay shares the story of how he became involved in technology at the young age of five and the impressive contributions he's made so far during his short life. Gil and Tanmay discuss the importance of exposure when it comes to educating youth on these subjects and why Tanmay isn't a fan of the term artificial intelligence. They also explore what technological advancements the future may hold. Here's their discussion. Hi, and today we have with us Tanmay Bakshi. Hey, Tanmay, how are you? Hello, I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm great. You're in Toronto, right? Yes, yes, I am in Canada. Oh, hello, Toronto. So for those of you who don't know Tanmay, Tanmay Bakshi is a 70-year-old developer. Yes, 17-year-old developer, AI and ML expert, author, TED keynote speaker, a media personality, and tech influencer. His first encounter with technology was at the age of five. He started programming when he was seven, and at nine years old, he already had his first iOS application on the App Store. Tanmay has addressed over 200,000 executives, developers, and students in over 30 countries, namely for Apple, Walmart, Microsoft, the United Nations, the Linux Foundations, IBM, and more. And his work has been featured in Forbes, Bloomberg, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, CNBC, and more. Wow, Bakshay. So, uh, so what are the 17 next years are going to look like? <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you take a look at all the things that I'm really passionate about doing, I feel like there's a couple of main themes. Uh, one of them is that, of course, technology is this huge you know, thing that I love. It's it's, it's a huge area of passion for me. Um, and so continuing to build technology, continuing to make technology more accessible for people to enable them to build their own technology to solve problems um, and, and, and understand the impact that technology has on their lives is something that I'm really passionate about sort of continuing to work on through all sorts of different resources, you know, through the books that I author, uh, through the YouTube tutorials that I create, the keynotes that I do, interviews like this one, and so much more. Awesome. You know, actually, before we talk about machine learning and AI, because this is what we're Mm -hmm. here for, what takes a super young person and puts him in a position where at the age of five, you were already interested in a topic that most likely you were not learning in school, right? I think the key word is exposure. And the reason I say that is because, yeah. like, uh, just, just to sort of use the analogy of what happened to me, right? 
My dad, for example, used to work as a computer programmer. And back when I was five, the reason that I was so sort of passionate about technology and the reason that was just interesting to me was because, you know, I saw my dad programming. And generally, I mean, back then, if you take a look at all the different toys that I had, I think in general, uh, the computer was the most sort of like interactive and fun toy there was, right? You could do infinitely many more things with it than you could any other toy, right? And so inherently computers just sort of sparked a fascination for me. And what I think, you know, I was I was lucky enough to have was that not only were computers interesting to me and not only did I have access to a computer, but also my dad used to work as a computer programmer. And so when he saw that passion for me, not only did he, you know, show me how to, you know, use technology and have fun with technology, but also, you know, fundamentally how to, how technology works. And that would fascinate me even more, right? How can I make the computer print out my own name or add two numbers? So I think really kids, they're passionate about a lot of things, but unless they have experience actually doing some things, they're unable to figure out what exactly they're passionate about, right? When I was five, I didn't know what programming was like. If I didn't have at least a little bit of experience, you know, coding simple applications, even as simple as, you know, creating a little uh, a little database in, in, a, in something similar to SQL with the stock for like an ice cream parlor, right? Simple things like this. If I didn't have that exposure, I wouldn't have known that technology is something that I'm passionate about and something that I want to continue to work on. And so I think really the key is that the education system and parents really need to keep in mind that it's important to take a wide variety of topics, whether that's, you know, technology, art, math, science, history, language, all these things, and at least expose them enough to kids so that they can figure out what they're passionate about, right? So we can help them find that out. So you're, you know, you're, you're well known for your expertise and, and, and opinions on AI and ML. And I want to ask you something, you know, because it's relevant for everybody listening. We have been hit by, you know, this pandemic, which has surprised everybody. And I'm wondering, do you think that AI and machine learning has been put to use to save humanity or not even air quotes? Exclamation mark. Save humanity in, in, in the way that it should or could? The pandemic has really shown us that we need better ways to be able to adapt very quickly. So the vast majority of use cases with AI so far have been tailored to how can we help humans and, and sort of, you know, get society functioning again with, with, the, with this virus um, still, still going around, but not necessarily towards actually solving it. However, there have been some incredible advances. For example, DeepMind recently came out with their AlphaFold neural network, which is an incredible advance. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, there were AI researchers saying that they believe this kind of technology was like 20 years off when they released so can, it a couple can, can of months you, ago. Can you elaborate on it so, so our listeners... Uh, Absolutely. So AlphaFold, you know, in, in general, when, when we're trying to, for example, understand how the COVID virus works, right, in, in order to help work towards, say, a vaccine... It's really important for us to be able to understand how the proteins on the actual virus, for example, fold and interact with other proteins in your body. For example, how do the actual spike proteins on the COVID virus actually bind to our cells, our human cells, uh, and infect our cells? Now, if we understand that mechanism, it's possible that we could work towards antiviral drugs. If we understand exactly how that spike is shaped, then we can work towards building uh, vaccines using, for example, mRNA technology in order 
to produce those spikes or our immune system knows how to kill it. So there's all kinds of things that we can do, but the issue is that we've had to do it manually so far using human intuition. We couldn't really model this computationally because that would take centuries, right? Our computers aren't nearly powerful enough to do this manually. And so AlphaFold represents this advance in machine learning technology where Google's able to train neural networks to predict how proteins will fold. And once again, this is something that AI researchers thought was easily like 20 years off, and Google's just gone ahead and brought so this out very, today. So it's very specific to the folding of proteins. It's not like right. a, a new engine that didn't exist before. No, this is very specific to the folding of proteins. We knew this was a problem. We knew this is a problem that had to be solved. And now Google has taken sort of one step closer to being able to solve it. You know, I, I kind of want to sail into the future, but before that, I want to go take a step back. And it's related to what you were saying, because you described a situation where AI is not artificial, it's really augmenting. And I know that you like this kind of new definition of, or you're trying to redefine AI or change the definition for the A. Can you, can you kind of talk about your relationship with that word and how you think it should be applied? You know, from the very beginning, I have personally not been the biggest fan of just the word artificial intelligence. And the reason for that is because I think, you know, fundamentally language says a lot about the way that we think, right? One of my favorite examples is, you know, if, if you were to show two shades of the color blue that are really close to each other, but they're slightly different, there is a higher chance that someone that is a native Russian speaker could tell the difference between the two shades versus a native English speaker. Wow, and that's just I because there are more words for the color blue in Russian. Wow. <laughs> and so their brain is visually more fine-tuned to tell the difference between blues. Right. And so our brains work in all kinds of ways that we wouldn't expect. And language is just one of those things that really gives us insight into the way that we think. And so when we call a technology like artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence, it, I think, gives off um, the wrong impression. Now, this sort of opens up a whole box of other philosophical questions like what is intelligence? And while we don't necessarily have you know, absolute, you know, definitive answers for a lot of these questions. There is one thing that I can say, human intelligence versus, you know, artificial intelligence. Humans have a pretty fundamental capability of being able to reason, being able to creatively come up with new ideas or concepts atop of, you know, this logical foundation that artificial intelligence technology simply lacks. So, I, I, you know, the, the bottom line of basically what you said is AI, and correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't mm -hmm. have feelings and it doesn't have intent, right? It's you basically turn on the model on an intent that you as a human gave it, but a machine is not going to wake up and say, I'm going to now check a pattern in the whatever, in, in weather. So, so we decide, check the weather patterns and it comes up with a pattern, but it does, it finds the pattern. Right. So isn't it bound to to change, uh, there, there will be a tipping point. <laughs> I, I absolutely love what you brought up there. You know, actually, I want to bring up an analogy. And the analogy is to a video that was released a couple of days ago. You know, there's this wonderful YouTuber, um, Vsauce, and, you know, recently uploaded a new video called The Future of Reason. And in this video, he talked about um, one, of the, one of the key concepts, at least, you know, apart from just human reasoning in general, was climate change. Right now, we can all agree that climate change is something that is happening. 
it's a bad thing. It's leading us to a fundamentally worse future. However, the reason that we don't seem to care all that much and the reason that we don't seem to actually be taking like actionable steps to very quickly stop, for example, you know, polluting the atmosphere this much and causing climate change is because climate change is, is what's known as a hyper object, right? It is something that is very far away in both space and time. It doesn't affect us today if we, you know, drive a car. It's going to affect someone decades from now and someone, you know, in a completely different part of the globe, right? And so because it doesn't affect any individual in some noticeable way, we just don't notice what's happening and we seem to not care. Yep. However, if you were to look at the actual facts, like the science, you start to realize that this is an issue and we should technically be doing something about it. But here's the thing. Regardless of the fact that this is fundamentally an issue and something that we can prove, right, quantifiably, there are still all kinds of people, you know, some people who are famous, some people who are generally known for being smart or intelligent and great at certain things, and also some people, you know, who might be world leaders or, or you know, politicians and so on, and they seem to not really believe in needing to, to change all that much. And in a lot of the cases, the reason for that ends up boiling down to incentive, right? Some people have an incentive to say that, oh, climate change isn't real, whether that's an oil and gas company saying that, you know, it, don't worry about it, keep using gasoline, or whether that's uh, someone who wants, you know, the votes of a certain section of the population that, that happens to believe in coal mining or whatever. Um, you know, some people have incentive to not want to believe in some certain scientific fact. Similarly, I think with artificial intelligence, there's three sort of areas to consider. First of all, there's the fact that fundamentally artificial intelligence today, with the way that it's implemented mathematically, is nowhere near the way that humans reason and come to decisions or are able to achieve certain tasks. The way that you recognize in a photo whether something contains a cat or a dog is completely different from how a computer does it, even down to the idea of how you decide to get the task done, right? Like I can ask you, does this image contain a cat or a dog? The way that I was able to tell your brain, this is what we're looking for, that's something we can't do with computers, right? That's something that we cannot do mathematically. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to say is, fundamentally, it's not that we can't get computers to reason. It's that all of the advancement in machine learning from its very conception with calculus, all of that advancement has been done in a specific path where that path doesn't lead to reasoning. It's always possible that we could get computers to reason, but not down this path. We need uh, a completely separate branch of, you know, technology. Quantum computing, maybe? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'll get to that in a second, actually. <laughs> um, but but then, you know, you, you also then take a look at, apart from that element of, of AI, this is the sort of thing that I feel like the vast majority of machine learning or AI researchers focus on. There's then the area of, you know, just people, right? And, and, and you know, when I, for example, you know, bring up my Apple Watch and I open up Siri and I talk to it for weather, you know, if I weren't an AI researcher, that seems very intelligent, right? My Apple Watch is taking audio, it's somehow transcribing that to text on my wrist, and then it's able to tell what that text means and give me the weather. 
that seems intelligent, right? You know, in, in the millions of years that humans have evolved, no other animal has been able to achieve this ability of understanding human language. So fundamentally, my brain is biased, right? My brain thinks this is intelligent. This is human-like. And so it's no surprise that as just a regular old consumer that doesn't necessarily know how this technology works, that my brain is subconsciously already primed to just find human-like intelligence pretty much everywhere now. But then there's that third group of people, right? <laughs> the group of people that I think have something to gain from people thinking, right, that artificial intelligence is more intelligent than ba it really Back to incentives, is. okay. Right? So whether that's, you know, companies that want to sell an AI solution or whether that is, you know, companies that want to get funding for building humanoid robots or whatever, right, there is unfortunately, that incentive that drives them to continue to propagate that misconception for more people. So I think AI is fundamentally not intelligent, right? It's able to achieve certain tasks that we thought required human intelligence using mathematics, not using any kind of real reasoning or, or, or you know, human-like logic. It's a misconception that's understandable because we're subconsciously primed to misunderstand this, right? Our brains are structured to be bad at this task, right? We can't blame people for it. And at the same time, you know, there's some people that continue to propagate that misconception just because, you know, there's some sort of incentive to do so. So we should call it uh, extremely fast computer automation answers, <laughs> something like that, maybe. Pretty much, pretty much, right? It's all about how can you take a bunch of data Right? And you're looking for some kind of pattern, feed it to the machine learning algorithm, let it find the pattern for you. Right? That's, that's, that's what it is at the end of the day. Right? Humans are still doing the reasoning, doing the logic. Just automating that logic is what machine learning allows us to do. I, I, I think uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to defend the other, the other side. I think what people are projecting is basically to say, at the end of the day, our brain is a type of computer. And, uh, and and then at the you know at some point whatever we are doing today will evolve to more or less do what our brain does and then the then I think there is like a school of thought the kind of the abyss between what is compute power versus can compute power generate feelings generate emotion generate intent or will compute power like you say will always be on a path of just that is different than the the, the path of uh, of 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 being human. Anyway, that's mm -hmm. that's a that's that's a, that's a different uh, podcast just, altogether. But go ahead. I, I will. Sorry, I will add just one thing really quickly, and that is that I, I think it's again, it's hard to conceptualize things like this because humans aren't really built to do it. But if you think about it, you know, computers inherently don't have any meaning. Right. Computer computing in the first place or data. Data doesn't inherently have meaning until we give it meaning. Right. When when I write something on a piece of paper, if I were to just, you know, send out that piece of paper, you know, in, in space and some alien civilization figures it and finds it like millions of years later, that doesn't inherently have any meaning to them. Right. What gives what I wrote meaning is another human being able to comprehend what I wrote. Similarly, if you have, you know, data in RAM right now, and if I were to extract the data of this, of this, you know, call, right, from your, from your computer's RAM, it's possible that the way that we interpret that memory, it happens to be a call between the two of us. But the way that some completely other civilization would have interpreted that exact same set of memory, it happens to be artificial general intelligence, right? It's, it's, it's really up to the way that you decide to decode and process that data, right? And 
you know, that's, that's why, for example, when we create a physics simulation in code and we simulate water, it's not like the CPU is wet, right? It's not like we actually have water anywhere. It's just we are able to derive meaning from that simulation because we understand what we're trying to derive from it. Similarly, if you had you know, artificial intelligence in a computer, that's not fundamentally intelligence. It's just that we extract that meaning of intelligence from the data that we happen to perceive because that's what we're coding it to for us to be able to perceive, right? Well, basically, the, the, the translation of whatever is there, like you, you said, the RAM, is first of all, it depends on the capabilities and the context of the decoder, right? Right. Anyway, let's move on. So uh, let, let's get back to Earth uh, and, and, and where you think that taking machine learning and AI, what do you think, you know, getting past Corona, what do you think now are the fields that will be impacted the most and where you feel the most excited about that AI will contribute to society? Right. So... The thing that's really nice about AI and the reason that I love it so much is because it is infrastructure. And I know infrastructure isn't the most attractive word in the world, but it is one of my favorite things to discuss. And the reason I say that is because like, maybe the best example actually is there was a survey, I'm forgetting uh, which company held the survey, I believe it was PwC. Uh, and they said that 72% of organizations voted machine learning is the most disruptive technology in the market for them today. And, you know, when I saw that statistic, I was immediately like, why? Right? This was like four years ago, I saw this. And I was like, why exactly is 72%? The, why, why is that the majority? And I thought about it a lot. You know, I've talked to, you know, executives in, in all kinds of companies, and I've talked to developers and so on. And I think the sort of the conclusion that I've come to is that if you look at why technology is so powerful, is it's infrastructure. Technology is its own industry, it's its own domain, but it acts as the infrastructure for every other domain, right? There's no domain where you're not using technology. Human life is fundamentally powered by it. That's what Absolutely. separates us from every other animal, right? Is that we right. have tech. Right. Um, and similarly, machine learning is also infrastructure, right? Wherever you have data, which means wherever you're using technology, which is everywhere, you can use machine learning in some way to extract some kind of pattern. Now, whether or not you need to is a different question, but you can, right? Like similarly, if you were to take a look at like blockchain or IoT or cloud computing, they're applicable in a lot of areas, but not everywhere, right? You're not going to use blockchain in movie production or cloud computing on an edge use case, things like this. Mm -hmm. So that's what I love about artificial intelligence technology or, or machine learning is that sort of universal applicability. And in particular, I think two fields that have the most to gain from this are healthcare and education. And the reason I say that is because in both of those fields, we generate massive amounts of data, right? Like just huge amounts of data to the point where the vast majority of it is thrown away, right? Like if you were to capture just a single person's electrocardiogram data for 50 years, you'd have upwards of like 50 terabytes of data. And that's a lot of data considering that's only a single lead at a low sampling rate compressed. And you're dealing with, you know, how many people? Like 8 billion people on the planet now. So the vast majority of data is just being thrown away right now. 
And within healthcare, we have this huge opportunity of being able to aggregate human knowledge across the globe, all this research that we're doing, apply it at the cutting edge with individual patients in a personalized manner, if we're able to surface those kinds of insights at the correct time to do the right thing. So I think there's a huge opportunity for applying artificial intelligence in the healthcare domain, first of all. But also transitioning to education, you know, without going too deep into what's lacking in the educational system today, I will say that, you know, education needs to be a lot more personalized than it currently is. And the scope of human knowledge, that circle of what we know is only increasing at a faster and faster rate. And so there's so much for people to learn, right? That fundamentally, actually, great example of evolution in action, actually. You know, synaptic plasticity uh, usually reduces, you know, relatively quickly, you know, with with most animals and with humans up until a couple of centuries ago. Uh, But now we're actually starting to see that the brain fully matures towards like age, you know, 25. Like this is fundamentally- No, don't tell people now that they have to go to school until the age of 25. I'm not going to say that. I'm no. not going to say that. But that's exactly why we need machine learning. Right? That's that's exactly my point. Is so that you don't need to be in school for 30 years of your life. You okay. know, you've got to use machine learning to help you personalize and be more effective at learning, so you can learn better and you can learn quicker and you can learn what you're passionate about, so you can actually contribute to society. That's that's what that's what I'm trying to say here. Um, and so there needs to be a way for us to be able to scale not only what we invent, but also how we enable more newer humans to learn about learn of what we've invented so they can invent their own things but, but let me right? let, so, let me let, let me try to because um, on the healthcare part I got it you have mega data sets and if we could just understand these patterns we could apply medication or understand uh, issues before they even arise or before we as humans feel it because of the you know uh, because of the AI that would actually bring us the information at the right time but education, <laughs> I just don't see the where uh, th- we don't have patterns in the same way we have like heartbeats and 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 and, and DNA and but where where is the what patterns is the uh, machine learning model looking at that will lead to that that the twelve year old uh, will actually understand something or be uh, served with content that is super personalized to him? What's the data set that the the model is crunching? So here's the thing. Once again, uh, I will say that if I were a domain expert in education, I would be way better at this. But here's a, here's a quick example, right? Let's just say you take a look at the IBM Watson education use case from a couple of months ago, or years actually, a couple of maybe like a year and a half ago. Um, so this this use case, the idea is that let's just say you know you're a student, you're being taught some kind of topic from your teacher. If, for example, uh, you're being taught, let's just say um, the idea of area, right, in in, in a relatively low grade, right? Like a really young child, you're being taught area of shape, right? This is something that's in your textbooks, uh, and this is all in natural language. And so traditionally, this has been something where if you want to find an answer, you either ask another person, like for example, your teacher, or you ask this question on some kind of like forum, like, or, or, or you Google it to try and find some website that answers your yeah. questions. Yeah. And, you know, we have all these kinds of resources, 
But the issue is that now we're relying on the actual kid themselves to go on the internet and search, this is my issue, this is, I understand that this is my problem, I'm trying to look for this specific answer, I'm going to phrase my question this way, go to Google and figure it out. Now, area is a pretty simple example, you could just go how to calculate the area of a square, you know, you understand that much. Um, but now, if we were to scale up to something more complex like calculating integrals, for example, right, suddenly it's a lot more complex to even understand what your problem is and what you should be researching in the first place. But if we had a machine learning system that could automatically take a textbook and instantly comprehend all of the things that were mentioned within it to the point where it can now ask the student questions, have them answer, understand that they got it wrong and why they got it wrong and surface the relevant data for them to be able to understand Find how out. to fix that problem in the future. It. I got it. So what right? you're saying is... And, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and the best part is, this doesn't replace teachers. Right? Ah. Because this isn't a catch-all. <laughs> no, it's not a catch-all. But I, I was imagining mm-hmm. uh, a scene. Mm-hmm. What should we call the movie? Tan May 2030. Okay? <laughs> um, and the scene is that you have a bunch of kids in a classroom. You have the teacher. But everybody has an earpiece. And when they go off and do the assignment, they can just say, let's, let's imagine the AI is called Tan May, right? I think you'll have an AI engine named after you for sure. So, sure. hey, hey, Tan May, da 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 da, and that's and that's that's how. So basically, you have your own bot on a um, wide variety of of topics that could actually interact with you and serve as because the education system failure, and I know this up close, is many times due to especially in in, in under less developed uh, um, countries or areas is is the proportion or the ratio between the teachers and the students and all of a sudden you have a personal teacher mm-hmm. wow that's, that's, that's super cool that's I never, exactly I, I never thought about it awesome right so because now we can personalize education so much more that's awesome so okay so that was kind of I, I don't I don't think that's science fiction by the way I, th- I mean you know 2030 maybe 40 um, you know, many, uh, uh, connecting back to the beginning and, and how people think or perceive AI and, and, and many of the things that relate to um, po- being positive versus negative, you know, we're kind of uh, trying to wrap up what, you know, what's your perspective, optimistic perspective, pessimistic perspective on the outcome of AI becoming ever more powerful and ever more also involved or embedded within society to the extent that it changes many fundamental things. You know, even autonomous cars uh, are going to make millions of truck drivers uh, lose their jobs or taxi drivers or, you know, so it does changes the structural, even the the employment structure, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, what is your, you know, I'm sure you're like an ambassador for AI on the the positive side. How do you, can, can you give us your view on that? There's both sides, if I'm going to be totally honest, right? I, I, I love AI, AI technology. I think it can be great for humanity, but I do understand that there are certain uh, pitfalls to the way that we think, right? I think the climate change example is a wonderful one. We as humans, when we sit down to think about something and we look at the facts and we look at the logic, 
in a lot of cases, we can come to agree with each other. But fundamentally, right, if you look at the way that we have evolved, we've evolved to reason, not for the sake of reasoning, we evolved to reason as a survival skill, right, just like every other evolutionary ability. And that reasoning ability comes from, from being able to be social and being able to explain your decisions and actions and intuitions to other humans so that you can all survive better as a group. And this, this sort of reasoning capability only evolved to work on data that we actively have access to with our senses. It can work with data that we don't have access to. We can imagine situations. We can look at data and, and, and project. But we're not great at it. We got to really sit down and be willing to apply our mind to do it. Right? That's, that's the issue with the way that we think. And in the case of climate change, we've seen that's a major problem. And I think within artificial intelligence, we have the opportunity as humans to do wonderful things, right? If we, if, if for example, lots of countries can actually figure out uh, a way to scale and move quickly and be agile with education, for example, and if we can assume that, you know, 20 years from now, for example, we're going to have completely automated transport and we're not going to need humans to be driving or, or anything anymore, then we know that these many jobs are locked off. So any country that wants to survive, you know, economically for more than 20 years from now, you're going to have to figure out your education system and actually get people educated to a point where they can work in more creative and sort of uh, fields where human uh, humans, human intelligence and reasoning is applied uh, and, and, and where machine learning technology becomes an augmenting force not a replacing one, right? I think that is really important. As of right now, I feel like very few countries are actually doing this. Um, and that's something that's going to need to change very soon. As well as I think reskilling is also very important. Again, this is where machine learning can be helpful to scale, right? It's very important to make sure that we can take, you know, lots of people who are in the who are in the job market today and very quickly reskill them to work in other domains, whether that is, you know, technology or really anything else. I happen to be using technology as an example because I love technology, but it can be quite literally anything, you know, math, science, language, history, again, what, as I said, any domain where human sort of intelligence or creativity is a requirement. And creativity is sort of associated with, you know, fields like art. But I feel like almost everything that we do as humans is creative in some way, right? Like even programming technology requires the creativity to come up with new architectures and decisions Absolutely. and designs and all kinds of things. So I think we have the opportunity to do something incredible with artificial intelligence technology, and we absolutely can. But the issue is that we need to be able to think and focus on the future well enough today that we decide to that we decide you know to to, to go on the right path. And you know, I'm optimistic that humans will be able to figure it out. And, you know, that's, that's, that's why I'm bringing across this messaging is because I think there's a really bright future if we can actually figure it out. And also one more thing really quickly is that a lot of people seem to think that innovation happens a lot quicker than it does. I will say that innovation is really fast, but because it's really fast, we as humans expect it even faster. Um, you know, like Amazon previously, I believe they had like two-day delivery. Then people demanded one-day delivery. <laughs> now people yeah. are demanding same-day delivery. Never enough. Never enough. Yeah. In, in a little while, people are going to be demanding I order it and yeah. I want it through a drone now, yeah. you know, from, from the warehouse. So, you know, even if, you know, you know, 10 years from now or something, it could be even closer, you know, for example, truck drivers are replaced or cashiers are replaced um, or, or, you know, personal assistants are replaced. Even if that does happen, that's not going to happen all at once. 
that's not going to just be a catch-all, hey, this one company came up with this one offering, suddenly every single truck driver on the planet is immediately obsolete. It's going to happen at a more gradual pace, right? Things will make sense in some economic areas. Other things will make sense in others. Like, for example, right, GPT-3, there's been this huge concern of, oh, what if people start generating fake news with language models and then we'll have all this fake news and we won't decide, you know, what's real or what's fake. But the issue is that it's actually way cheaper to just pay people in a call center to generate the fake news for you. And they do it way better as well as what studies have shown. Uh, they're more controllable. You can tell them what to bring across. You know, they Although the deep fake could become an issue. Deep faking is an issue, that I will say. But there are also ways to work around that. For example, uh, DARPA has neural networks to detect deep fakes now as well. Right. So while humans might perceive it as almost perfect, machines can also find defects in deep fakes. So, you know, we're, we're, we're covered on that it's one, the, too. It's the machines <laughs> versus the machines. So, so Tamir, exactly. I, I want to wrap it up with one very pragmatic, like tomorrow morning question in one super science fiction. So the pragmatic question is, Um, do you think, and it's not related to you personally, although, of course, it would apply uh, way back. Do you think, because you mentioned AI as an infrastructure, is that not, should that become like a mandatory thing to learn in school super early on? Should we as humans understand it because it's going to be so fundamental from a very young age? I, my, my, my son or daughter doesn't need to be until, you know, to, get, to reach the age of 16, 17 before they start to think about it? I would say... learning technology should be, I don't think mandatory is the right word, but it should be just another subject in school, right? Don't treat it as this exotic, like unicorn. From a very young age. Right. From a very young age. And I say that using super simple things like scratch. Like I don't mean, you know, bring your kids into C development and let's learn how memory management works. Right. And what I'm saying is, you know, introduce them to the basic concept of what programming is, move them up to things like Swift playgrounds or, you know, the Julia or Python languages and, And, you know, from a very young age, it's sort of working up from there. And the reason for that is, again, they need to be exposed to all these different areas in order to know what they're passionate about. And technology is so fundamental that, you know, we need more developers. We need more people to be building software and hardware. Okay. That's very important. And then, of course, because AI is such an infrastructural technology, later do introduce to sort of AI machine learning technology as well. Maybe not from a super fundamental, here's how backpropagation works angle, but rather, you know, here's how you can use the... Core ML uh, or, or Watson APIs in order to build a little app on your phone that can tell the difference between cats and dogs, right? So these sorts of things to get, to get kids excited, right? To, to sort of spark that passion if they're interested. Got it. Now I'm going to ask you the, the science fiction question. And <laughs> I had this discussion in, in another podcast. Uh, and, and you can give me a, an a objective or subjective answer. Um, given the chance, would you... If it was possible, merge with AI capabilities as a human being and become what is now becoming called transhuman with this like super, I don't know, you, you, you look at the street, you see a pattern, you don't cross it because you know the next car is going to crash or I'm just, I use something super simplistic, but <laughs> merging with an AI in order to be a better human or a, a more powerful human, would you do that? Is that, is that something that, that you think will, will be in our destiny? You see, the thing with, with, with me is that I, uh, 
as a developer and as someone who actually builds technology, whenever I'm asked questions like this, whether it's from my friends or from you, no. you know, I, I, I always, <laughs> uh, no, no. but, but, but that's, that's not what I meant. But, um, what, but, but the, 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 when I, when I think about these questions, I suddenly start to think about it from a, a very sort of, you know, objective angle of how would that work exactly? Like, well, what do you mean by merging with artificial intelligence, right? Because if you, if you we don't understand the brain well enough to right. understand how we could merge with something like artificial intelligence, or if that's even possible, right, without unfortunately killing the person. So, you know, we have to, we have to figure out what we mean by that exactly. But in general, I would say yes. It okay. sounds like an interesting idea, right? If implemented correctly, if implemented in a way that would that would be advantageous. I personally am a huge believer in, you know, if if if, if the science is right to to go ahead and 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 do it, honestly, for the for the better human capabilities that it can unlock. But then again, I, I will say that because I can't understand those nitty-gritty details of, you know, how exactly does it work and you know what what kind of capabilities does it unlock? What are the interfaces? Is like, you know, what are the disadvantages? I think it's really hard to come to a decision, but in general, I would say personally, it's interesting enough for me to say yes. That's a great answer. And I think we'll wrap it up here. It's been great talking to you. Some amazing insights, super fresh, super insightful. It was Thank a pleasure you. having you with us. Thank you very much. It was great to be on the show. Thank you. See you Fun soon. Conversation. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Tanmay shared some fascinating perspectives on technology, climate change, education, and much more. Here are some key takeaways that stood out from the discussion. When it comes to fostering the growth and development of talented young people like Tanmay, he believes the key to his early success was exposure. With his father working as a computer programmer, Tanmay developed a strong passion for technology at the age of five. Learning the ropes from his father helped grow this passion and fuel him to continue developing his knowledge base over time. Tanmay believes we need a fundamental overhaul of the education system. He suggests we offer young people more personalized learning experiences and prepare them to work in creative fields where machine learning is an augmented force, not a replacement for human capital. He also shared his perspective on the way we view climate change in our society, noting that it can be difficult for us to understand it as an immediate pressing problem, since people tend to think of it as an abstract concept that doesn't affect us in the here and now. What's more, many people still have incentives to support practices that harm the environment, which ultimately run counter to the aims of climate change solutions. Tanmay, thank you for taking the time to share your point of view. Thanks for listening to Point of View, a podcast by Amdocs. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe, and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for our next episode. We'll see you next time.